welcome to the Big Fan Podcast, a podcast for, by, and about big music fans. My name is Emma, and this podcast is a little different in that this is the first time we're discussing an artist who is no longer with us. But I think although he has passed away, the legacy that Mac Miller has left is a really beautiful one. And I really regret that I wasn't a bigger fan when he was with us. But we'll get into all of that. And we're also going to be touching on, you know, how the death of an artist can affect fan base or an individual and the kind of lessons that we can take from that. And actually, even just in the replies I got on Instagram when I asked people about, you know, artists that they had lost, people were citing how they were still grieving or how they felt it more deeply than they felt appropriate, maybe, or that it was shocking how sad they were about someone they had never met. And I think that that is something so special. And it's such a credit to these people and to our relationships with them. So we're going to talk about that. Anything that we mention, any videos or relevant podcasts or reading material will be listed in the Ginger iPod newsletter, which you can subscribe to at gingeripod.substack.com. You can pop in and have a once-off look or you can subscribe and get an email maybe once a month with a little update and links to the podcast and other things that are going on. And I'd also love a review on Spotify or Apple, wherever you're listening, you can just click the stars button. You don't have to write anything. It only takes a few seconds and it makes a huge difference just in terms of popping up in search engines and that kind of thing, the technical side of stuff. But yeah, I'm really excited about this conversation about Mac Miller. He was only active for 12 years. But when you consider that he was 26 when he passed away, that's actually huge. Um, And in that time, he released five studio albums, 13 mixtapes, 63 music videos. And then Circles was released after his death. And it is a really beautiful summation, maybe, of all that went before and came after. And it was really easy to pick a guest for this one. It's someone that I wanted to speak to anyway, because she is a massive music fan. Um, We'll be speaking to Sinead Scully today. She's just really inspiring. She has such a positive and all-embracing outlook on life. And actually, throughout this conversation, it kind of came up again and again how some of those things were true of Mac as well. And so it was a really nice pairing, I think. So, yeah, we had a really lovely conversation and I'm really excited to share with you. And I'm feeling very grateful. It was a bit of an emotional one to record for many reasons. This is being recorded the morning after the riots in Dublin, which um, were just really disheartening to see, I think. And there's a lot happening in the world. The news is bleak. And so, you know, having an hour set aside to chat about how we can support other people and how art is important and the role that artists play in that has been really lovely. So I hope that you find some solace in this conversation too. Thank you very much for listening and for your continued support. We really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. So I am delighted to have in the studio with me, I was going to say this month, we've been a bit loose with our timeline, but for this month's episode, I have a music fan, a dancer, a creative, a broadcaster, she's a Chaga score now as well, and someone who I've known since they were in like fifth year, fourth year, so I feel like I've kind of watched you grow up a little bit, and yeah, I've been so excited to speak to you for this podcast because, sorry, I didn't even say, it's Sinead Scully, obviously. Hello. 
Thanks, everyone. Welcome. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted. No, I'm so, so happy to have you here. You were definitely on my list of like people I wanted to get into the studio because you are one of the biggest music fans I know. Oh my God, um, Also, you've been toying with the idea of doing like a music talk. Oh my God, for ages. For, uh, Literally so I think long. you should jump. I know, I really should, but I don't know what's stopping me. I think, I think it's like a female or like just women in general have like such a imposter syndrome about being creative or like getting Mm -hmm. into that zone completely so I think that's what's stopping me but honestly you've inspired me so much I'm like I need to just make the jump even like music TikTok page or something I'm like why don't I just do it you know but yeah maybe in the future (laughs) I would definitely follow it I mean you always have something different on your stories you're always sharing the music you're listening to and it's not always like the newest thing or it's not always one genre it can literally be anything and I love that thank you um so yeah I'm a big fan already (laughs) the idea of starting something is kind of the same with the podcast it's like I don't know the consistency scares me because it's also very like capitalist like you need to produce and you need to make the content and it has to come out the sixth sorry there's no sixth Thursday of the month (laughs) which probably (laughs) maybe this comes out on the sixth Thursday of the month and that's why we never see it but yeah it's like the idea of adding something else to your workload that has to be consistent and proper and polished and it especially your creative projects they shouldn't have to be no I think um, it's so unrealistic to think that creativity is going to be consistent like that's just not how it works ever so I don't know why creatives put themselves under that pressure that's why I love your kind of lag in a mock your sort of like structure to it because it's kind of like whenever you feel like it you do it in a way I don't mean that in a bad way I think it's it's true and like I love that it's not every week because then when it does get released I'm so excited to listen I also feel a bit of overwhelm in terms of like how fast people are releasing even music and podcasts and everything else my list of things to listen to or to do is never finished (laughs) so I don't want to be adding to other people's lists either and that kind of happened to me with Mac Miller because we were just saying before we came on mic that I wasn't a huge Mac Miller fan I mostly embarrassingly just knew him as Ariana Grande's boyfriend and then he wasn't (laughs) and when he passed away I was like okay no a lot of people are upset about this so there's obviously something here and I went and I listened to Blue Slide Park well remember this you just said it in the Blue Slide Park a place where dreams come true that's where you find heart up until the sun and I was like yeah it's fine and I kind of left it at that because the idea of listening to another like six albums or five albums was just a bit overwhelming and so I didn't do it but I take that back now that I've done my (laughs) deep dive I've been listening to Circles all week I'm obsessed with it it's amazing I was thinking like I wonder why you went for Blue Slide Park and I imagine because at the time he died they did like a tribute concert in Pittsburgh like in Pennsylvania and I think the name of the concert was like Blue Sliders they did it at the park yeah they did it at the park so I was like I wonder is that what like spurred you to go into that and like it's unfortunate that you started with that one because out of all of his albums I would say that's like one of my least favorite yeah I'm glad that you kind of gone on a retrospective deep Mm. dive in a way um like I'd love to sit here and say that I've been a fan since kids like his very first mixtape in 2009 but like that's not the case with me either I only started really paying attention I think like a lot of people around the time he released The Divine Feminine 2016 Mm -hmm. great year for music SZA, Mac Miller like it was so good back-to-back bangers that's when I started really paying attention again it could have been because he was with Ariana Grande around that time like I don't know but I kind of had to do a retrospective deep dive into his music too but I think that's Okay, you know, a lot of people take so much pride in like being a fan of a musician from like the get go. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's okay to admit that you came on a little bit later. It's a whole other journey even to go back and like learn who an artist is from the very beginning of their career the whole way through. Like that's such a special journey to go on to. So yeah, I was kind of the same, to be honest. 
Yeah, I love that. And I love that we've had this conversation about like Harry Styles and Taylor Swift and people who are like angry at new Swifties or whatever. It's so silly. If they enjoy it, that's the point of the art. That's all that you need to do to be a fan. But you said that you found him around the time of Divine Feminine. What was going on for you at that time? Like what age were you and um, what was kind of bringing you to hip hop music? So like I grew up doing hip hop dancing okay, and that had a huge influence on me always. Um, and I've always been listening to hip hop music, but I always kind of found myself reluctant to kind of share that or speak on it because, you know, I'm like just this white girl from Dublin, you know. <laughs> so I had a bit of imposter syndrome around that. But around the time of the Divine Feminine, I think I was in 2016, I would have just done my leaving cert. I think it was in my first year of college. Does that make sense? I think that makes sense. I'm so bad at maths. So sorry if that's so wrong. No concept. (laughs) I'm a languages and a music guy. Like that is good. I think what came out was my favourite part is Ariana Grande. Also on that album is Dying with Anderson Pack, And I was just obsessed. I had listened to, I think, songs from kids a couple of years prior. And like you with Blue Side Park, like it didn't grab me. I was kind of like, I didn't get it. Like I didn't get Mac Miller or what he was about. But the way that he kind of like use jazz in my in the divine feminine the way he just made such a cohesive kind of piece of art on a certain theme it was so like love focused and like all about just being obsessed with ariana grande like the whole concept was amazing the music was incredible and i was like whoa like this guy is really talented it's not just rap and talking about like cars and money Mm. and all this kind of stuff like there was another side to him that i maybe hadn't noticed before and i think a lot of people had the same experience listening to The Divine Feminine and then I started really paying attention and I was obsessed. The Divine Feminine. Am I supposed to? Okay. to tell this story like I'm so excited to tell the story that year he went on tour mm-hmm. he came to Longitude in the summer I was a broke student classic had no money so I convinced my best friend to try to sneak into Longitude with me so Iconic. yeah so we <laughs> there's a golf golf course golf park kind of thing right beside Marley Park so we literally like spent I think it was like two or three hours like crawling <laughs> through this really like expensive booty golf park trying to get in such a failure like it didn't work oh, at no. all I know I was, I was rooting for you there. no I was so distraught I literally had like thorns and twigs and everything like covered in me but I was like Christina like my friend I was like we have to go to this like it is life or death for me I need to see Dang live I need to see my favorite part live it just has to happen but yeah it ended in tragedy so we just went for a pint instead I love that story though and like you just said that you saw a whole new side to Mac Miller I feel like I've just seen a new side to you because that's the (laughs) least Sinead thing ever to break into a festival no literally like everyone is like are you actually doing that I'm like I will do whatever it takes to see Mac Miller like I literally don't care so if I have to break in I have to break in and I was so terrified like one of my most clear memories is just being terrified that we would get caught in the golf park but we didn't thank god but it was terrifying, but totally worth it. Like, I would so do it again. Do you know what? It was worth it for the story. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> I love also that you mentioned, like, the kind of imposter syndrome around a white girl listening to rap music. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if it's a coincidence, but the two cutest, sweetest, loveliest people I know, <laughs> yourself being one, and Katrina Igo being the other, are, like, the biggest, most hardcore rap fans I know. Katrina is... So cute, so smiley, like plays trad music. She's from Galway, has lovely little brogue. 
And we'd go home after a night out and she'd be blaring the rap greats. She had a guinea yeah. pig and she called it Piggy Smalls. That's And she iconic. knows all the words. <laughs> Her brother to run the jewels at Primavera and she literally was bouncing about three foot off the ground for the whole hour. And I love that. It's something that maybe you're not meant to relate to or people would be like, well, how do you relate to this? But it just makes sense. And I don't know if that's something to do with the music or is it something ingrained in us that we're, I don't know, brought to certain rhythms or beats or whatever it might be but it's kind of like love like what makes love work what makes just two people click and they kind of think the same like what makes someone just fall in love with this random genre or something that wasn't necessarily meant to be but makes sense yeah it's so interesting so many people are so shocked when I tell them that I like my favourite genre is R&B or rap they're like really here I am like in pigtails you know whatever (laughs) but yeah I think for me because I grew up dancing that was a huge reason why Mm -hmm. and did the dancing come first or the music um, good question. It's kind of the chicken and the egg situation yeah. for me a lot because I think about me when I was little and the first single I ever bought was Stacy. I think how you say her surname is Arikio. Um, oh my God, more to life. Yeah, right. Wow, So yes. good. And that's kind of, it's pop, but it's kind of R&B slash pop, I think, in a way. And I remember my brother used to listen to a lot of R&B when I was younger. And I was like, what is that? Like, that's so cool. I was obsessed with Mystique. Do you remember Mystique? Mystique, yes. They yes, were yes. so R&B. The 411. Yeah, exactly. So I think it was always in me in some way. And then the dancing came when I was around 12. And that just burst open a whole new world to me. Like, the culture of hip-hop, the dance of hip-hop, the music in hip-hop. Like, I was obsessed with all of it. The style of hip-hop. Like, the whole culture is just amazing. And I have a lot of imposter syndrome around you know, obviously being a white person in that space and like mm. enjoying the music and also wanting to respect it. I think that's another reason why I love Mac Miller because he yeah. was, he was like, he participated in the culture and he was a huge contributor to the culture, but he never like appropriated it or he was always very respectful of the fact that he was like a white guy in that space. There's a picture he had hung up in his house and it was like a Jay-Z tweet. Jay-Z says something like, oh, like there's a lot of like really cool black people right now. And Mac Miller's okay as well. Like, and he <laughs> like got that in a frame. So it's Snoop Dogg call him white chocolate. And he yeah. Like, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's really important too, because it, it is a conversation you have to have as a, a white person who enjoys mm. hip hop or whatever. Like, you know, it was founded completely by black people. So we have to respect that and honor that, yeah. you know. And I suppose that is some thing that came up in the conversation around Mac Miller and even when was it Blue Slide Park when that came out the critics like didn't compare him as he would have wanted maybe to like you know Big Al or even like Wiz Khalifa I think was the Pittsburgh rapper at the time yeah yeah they compared him to not even Eminem which surprised me but the Jonas Brothers like was what? the comparison They're like what worlds apart I can't worlds even describe <laughs> but it's interesting that you mentioned that about being a white person in those spaces and needing to respect that um we actually have an episode kind of around that lined up but I suppose because Mac Miller I don't want to say he was like not as big as some of the artists we've talked about because he definitely has a legacy and everything else but I do think it's a little bit more niche so could you give us a little rundown on like who he was where he came from and how his career sort of progressed sure I'll do my best I feel so much pressure I'll try (laughs) this is chill yeah okay so he's from Pittsburgh Pennsylvania Mm -hmm. and he was always kind of like me when I look back when I listen to hip-hop and stuff he was always obsessed with hip-hop there's a video of him as a child I think it's like on Christmas morning he's like four and he's rapping oh my god you know that song is like a hip a hop a hip yeah. a hip to the hip rapper's hip, delight yeah rapper's delight iconic produced by sylvia robinson a woman in hip-hop we love to see amazing it. I said, hip- so he was rapping that so it's obviously clear that it was so innate in him that he was going to go down that kind of direction but yeah apparently he was always really good at like English in school and that happens to a lot of rappers like they excel in English and poetry and stuff like that 
And then he put out his first, I think, mixtape, which was Kids, around 2009. And then from there, he just like progressed so much as an artist and individually up until like Circles, which came out like after his death, obviously. But he had a very difficult, I think, life in a way. Like he struggled a lot with mental health. Um, And that was clear from the very first album he put out. Like he talks a lot about his struggles with mental health, his struggles with drug addiction. Um, But he was also just such a funny sound guy. And I think that's what I love about him is that he never shied away from the fact that he struggled, mm-hmm. but he also didn't make that like 100% all of his subject material for his art. Like he showed a funnier side to him, like a happier side to him. And I think that's just like, that's the most human thing I think you can do in yeah. a way. Like, you know, that's the reality for everyone. It's like you have really bad days, you have better days, you know, you go through struggles and then you're okay. It's kind of like, who is shall, he is shall or whatever. Yeah. So I think that's why I really like Mac and I relate to him a lot is because he was just like a sound guy, really sound guy. He really loved and believed in art as a tool for like therapy for himself to create community and everything like that. Yeah, I just, that's kind of the main reason why I like just love him so much. He was just like a fully human, didn't shy away from the bad days, also celebrated really good days. Like it's just pure and I think he left a really good legacy and that is kind of more to do with the people that he lifted up on the way or the people he was collaborating with yeah. or the communities that he was working with like he said could you say a bit more about that side of things yeah like another great thing that a lot of people say about Mac is like how he was so happy to like open the door for other artists like mm-hmm. I remember I think it was I don't know what year exactly but one tour he brought Chance the Rapper on tour and Vince Staples to like huge yeah. names now you know and he brought Chance the Rapper on tour just after Acid Rap came out just before Coloring Book came out so like a really crucial part in Chance's career I think that obviously like opened him up to way more like fans and stuff so it really helped Chance and like Vince he's gone on to do crazy things as well he succeeded but he never kind of stepped on people to get there I don't think and he always like wanted to champion people to like go further than him or like support people to become as successful as him as well yeah And I think the community that you build and the people that you meet and help along the way in any career, in any walk of life, like that's going to be something that sustains. Yeah, 100%. Um, It's so clear as well from the concert that took place after he passed away. Yeah. Um, Like so many people, so many artists just did that. No payment, didn't care, just wanted to support his family. Like, you know, it was like, I think the internet was there, John Mayer was there, like all these crazy huge artists who probably had a lot of stuff going on, but cancelled and dropped whatever was going on with them to be there and like pay a tribute to Mac because he played such a huge role in their life so they wanted to repay him for that and like that's just so nice like yes he's successful great artist sold all these albums records or whatever but at the end of the day like if people don't see you as a kind person then like what's the point that's so lovely (laughs) you mentioned John Mayer and a few other names there the people that he worked with that list spans so many genres so many areas and kind of expertise and I think you can hear that when you're listening to his music as well like he was clearly someone who loved music and not just like one genre like he was pulling from everywhere and like you mentioned the jazz influence and there was kind of a singer songwriter like a nearly Dylan kind of approach on some of the lyrics or even vocal style sometimes wasn't always restricted to one genre on any given album like he obviously was someone who was obsessed with music yeah that's it and it's so clear in his his music as he said like the way he pulls on different genres and 
asks different people to collab with him from different genres is like amazing. I remember I think I watched an interview with him during the time he was like recording Divine Feminine. He sings a little bit more on that record than he usually had prior. It was mostly just rap, rap, rap. And then like mm-hmm. he started singing a little bit more. And he was like, yeah, like I don't really care. I just kind of want to try it and see what happens. And I think that's what I respect a lot about Mac too is he tried different things within music. He wasn't afraid to like go out on a limb and try something different. Because obviously when you aren't really successful, it's probably more difficult to make those kind of take those chances, I guess. Mm-hmm. But he never shied away from that. He just really developed a lot as an artist with his music as he progressed through his career. And I think, yeah. like I said to you earlier, like a lot of people give out about Drake that he doesn't do that. So he really grew up with his fan base throughout the years and his sound matured, his like subject matter matured. And I think that's another reason why his fan base is still so loyal to him. And actually, now that you say it, when you put it in context that like he was only 26? 26. Like. That is a massive leap, even from Blue Slide to Circles. Like yeah. That progression is huge Ma- in terms of production quality, the influences, the style, the depth of the lyrics, or even just like the concepts he was working with. Yeah. If you listen to some of the albums, I'm obsessed with this kind of side of things, but Circles and um, Swimming... swimming are looped so like the last track references back to the first ones is it on swimming like it finishes uh, halfway through the chord progression and it only completes if you listen to the first track wild I know a single word That's what I mean. Like so I many people, that. they'll look at a rapper and they'll be like, oh, like it's just a rapper. But like he loved music so much and he paid so much attention to his craft, the lyrics, the music itself. It's just unbelievable. I remember listening to the Dissect podcast and when I heard yes. that about it, like the loop from Swimming to Circles, I was like, oh my God, like that's just genius. Like that is pure creative genius, you know, because he knew that they were going to be like a kind of double album um, situation. So yeah. even the foresight to know that is just crazy. I love that you just mentioned Dissect. I feel like we're on the exact same wavelength because I was just <laughs> about to bring it up because I'll put it in the newsletter. Any references that we make, I'll put them all in the newsletter so you can go and read them or listen to them or whatever. But the Dissect podcast did a deep dive into Circles. And something that I loved was, so apparently he was really into like Eastern religion and uh, schools of thought and he was reading up a lot on Taoism and at the start of Circles there's a line like, I don't got a name. And apparently that comes from, now I don't know how true this is but I loved it, <laughs> apparently is thought to be a reference to an episode of Winnie the Pooh where Tigger gets in the bath, loses his stripes and then sings a song about how he doesn't know who he is anymore and he says, I don't have a name. Maybe someday I'll know who I am But for right now Somehow I don't And there is a book called The Taoism of Pooh, as in Winnie the Pooh. I've read that book. Amazing. So good. So good. (laughs) They use the characters to describe each of the theories of Taoism. And so the fact that he referenced Tigger in his lyrics just melted my heart. (laughs) That's what I mean. Like his lyrics are so thought out. Like 
so much so that I don't think people give him enough credit for. Yeah. You know, that is yeah. so sweet. I didn't know that. Oh so my God. cute. So and cute. Like, even if it's not true, it still is a lovely coincidence. Yeah. It's and a nice the way that he speaks about like circles and things coming back around, coming back around. I just thought that that tied in with that, even if it wasn't the basis of his lyrics. Yeah. Well, I mean, it very well could be true because he spent a lot of time at Rick Rubin and he's like a super spiritual guy. Yeah. You know, Rick Rubin, I think, did a lot of producing for circles. Yeah. So it would not surprise me at all wow. if that was true. <laughs> I love that. Rick Rubin is so what else I'd love to do a podcast on oh my God, yeah. he's like you know when people ask you can ask five people for a dinner alive yeah, or dead yeah. I'm like Rick Rubin 100% <laughs> every time you touched on it there a little bit about like his mental health struggles and how he was very open about that and I wanted to talk a little bit about like the idea of the tortured artist and how that I don't know has caused so many problems I think mm-hmm. in the industry has allowed for a lot of neglect in the industry there is very much like a sad boy aesthetic or a box that artists are put into and I think James Blake spoke about this a few years ago where people were like surprised when he made something a bit more upbeat or he wrote something about love and it was good and everyone was like oh this isn't a great album and he was like I don't need to be depressed to make good music like you said there was a good balance I think as well in Max music in that it wasn't all on that theme but Mm -hmm. I think being open about it is important too yeah 100% like he never ever shied away from it I do think there's an inherent truth to the fact that people who are creatives and artists and stuff they are more sensitive people Mm. like so they tend to be more emotional and stuff like that but I do think there needs to be a conversation around the industry as a whole and how like artists are managed and looked after because we're not looking after them properly at all like yes our conversations now are more open about mental health but like the same stuff is happening again and again like Britney Spears obviously comes to mind. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast with Alfie Hudson-Taylor. Oh yeah, recently. I've been to get into that. Yeah, oh my God, big time. <laughs> he was talking about the fact that like he felt so taken advantage of and there was a girl speaking on that podcast who was an artist also. She had people in her record company saying things like, oh, well, you need to struggle to make good art and like we're almost happy if she was going through a rough time because that would mean they would profit from it, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just not a good system. I think there just needs to be more care within the music industry, the record companies and stuff. Like, we need to see the artist as a valuable human. I think it all goes back to the fact that, like, we undervalue art full stop. If we value art more, then we'll value artists more, and then hopefully they won't go down the paths that they have in the past. That's so true when you consider how many artists and young artists especially kind of say or insinuate that management are involved in getting them into, say, drug use or, you know, not getting them the help they need. And it's not always as obvious as that either. Like sometimes it can just be, say, like in Ireland, the lack of support and the lack of attention and care and funding given to our artists who are struggling and I mentioned in the newsletter recently as well the new pressures that social media has inflicted on people I suppose because we are supposed to be always in call always creating and then validating our art by these numbers that are also kind of arbitrary as well online like you know a thousand views isn't the same as a thousand people buying tickets even yeah for sure doesn't like half add of them up. could be bot accounts like you don't absolutely, know absolutely you don't know or like if your music is not being shared it could be for a million reasons that have nothing to do with your music Yeah, yeah. it's all like very detrimental I think to mental health and it's sad that that like idea of the tortured artist exists and that we have this glorification of a lifestyle that is not actually conducive to creating art and we saw that in maybe his drug use in the end was what stopped everything yeah but it surprised me when I was reading up on this because I was a bit ignorant to like the circumstances of his death until I was researching for this podcast Mm -hmm. I knew that it had been an overdose I didn't know if it was intentional or not 
part of me kind of assumed that it was and that was wrong on my part um, but it actually opened up a huge conversation around fentanyl use in America because what actually happened was that he was sold pills that were laced with fentanyl he didn't realise mm-hmm. and so when he took it it obviously was too much and it was an exemplary case I think I don't know if they necessarily chose it to make an example for other people or um, if it was something they were clamping down on at the time but both of the people who were involved in that drug deal were served I think 17 and 20 years yeah which is huge yeah and I don't know if that's symptomatic of the industry or like America as a whole and like where they were at at the time because it was a rampant problem Fentanyl for a while was quite commonly prescribed as a painkiller in America. It is supposed to be 50 times more potent than morphine. It was associated with Prince's death and now Mac Miller too. And it's sadder when you realise it wasn't intentional. Yeah, so sad. Like apparently after he made swimming, so that was August 2018 and he passed away September 2018. He was in a good place. Like I listened to an interview the internet did, like a collective, mm. like Sid and Steve Lacey and stuff were all involved in that. They were really close in the back. They did an interview with Steve, Steve Low, Zane Low, <laughs> um, after he passed away. And they were like, no, the saddest thing about it all is like he was in a good place when mm. that happened. He obviously just relapsed or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like he, he wasn't in a bad place. Like he was meant to be going on tour with the internet within the next couple of months. I remember he had said that he was going on a US tour and I was like, oh my God, that's so exciting. Like maybe he'll do a world tour after that. I was so excited. But yeah, it's just awful. Like just, it was just a freak thing. And a lot of people, I think that's what upset me a lot. A lot of people were like, oh, like he really had issues with drugs. Like it was probably intentional, like whatever. It's like, no. And it really opened my eyes to the reality of drug addiction. And it made me a lot more empathetic to the realities of it all. Like there's a difference between bad people who do bad things and good people who do bad things and just don't really, you know, can't, don't really know what to do. Like, you know, they're just a bit lost and... Yes, it's really sad. There's uh, a culture that's growing, I feel, in Ireland. I think that drug use is more prevalent than it was when we were in college, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um, although I actually think that I was quite ignorant at that time as well. It was definitely around. It just, I, I don't think it was as common. But that risk is always there when it's not regulated. I think about Mac all the time. Like if I hear of people like doing it socially, I'm like, you don't know what's going to happen, where they're coming from. Like it's just all really scary. I wasn't that affected by the death of Mac Miller because I didn't know who he was at the time. I'm kind of sad in retrospect about it now. I'm like, oh, there won't be more music or I don't know. There is something different when you're listening to someone's lyrics, knowing how it ends, you know. Um, And there's something really, I think, prophetic in a way about Mac's lyrics when you listen back. It's almost like he knew where it was heading. Mm. And there was a kind of, I think there's like an acceptance about that in his music too, that gives his listeners like a lot of peace especially yeah. in circles yeah like I listened to that and I'm like okay he's fine like it's okay like yeah. he kind of knew this is where it was going but he's like I'm good you know was it a memento mori that he always said or he yeah like, carved into a coffin in a music video and it yeah. means like remember you'll you have to die like it's inevitable mm-hmm. which is really sad in the context but I wanted to talk a bit about the effect of the death of an artist and I asked people on Instagram and a few people said the same kind of thing that I'd felt where they were like I miss Rory Gallagher as if it was literally someone I knew or cried for days over Dolores O'Riordan and everyone was like, what the fuck? (laughs) He didn't know her. But it really hit me. And I think my one was Scott Hutchinson from Frightened Rabbit. Mm -hmm. Died, I think it was 2018. And it really shook me because I didn't realise I could feel so deeply for someone I had never met, I guess. And I think it was kind of... Like what you said about Mac and how he sang about 
mental health and stuff, Scott was super open in his lyrics about his struggles. And like we said about creatives being very sensitive, not that I call myself a creative, but now it's not time for imposter syndrome. You're a creative, Emma. <laughs> but I, I do feel like I'm someone who just like feels everything. Like I, yeah. <laughs> even when it's not very conducive to, you know, getting through the day. But he was someone who also saw the light in things. And I always felt like that was my saving grace even if I was really low that I always knew that I could see a silver lining and so that's beautiful I'm gonna cry (laughs) but I think it was just the fact that he was someone who had been in that dark place but always saw the color and the light in life so when I saw that for him that wasn't enough it really scared me that like and it made me really scared for friends as well who were like sorry I'm gonna cry now um but who maybe related really heavily to Scott Hutchinson but it was definitely like a real grief and I wasn't expecting it at all and so I just think it's so interesting that like parasocial relationship as well like it's easy to talk about that in terms of Harry Styles or Taylor Swift feeling that it's your best friend and they're going around in their pink pants or whatever <laughs> but it also has this emotional depth that is 100%. really special and yeah. it's an interesting one because it's someone that you feel like you know them you feel like they understand you but it's not real in a way. I think there's like a very unique space for vulnerability in the listener to artist relationship that isn't really replicated in any other kind of relationship you would have day to day. Like, because there's like, I think this understanding where you're not expected to kind of know what to do to help the artist or the artist doesn't isn't expected to know what to do to help you. But if you're, say if you're really vulnerable with a friend and you're like, I'm having a shit time, the friend is going to think like, oh God, like I wish I could help. I wish I knew what to do. It's kind of awkward maybe. Mm-hmm. But when the artist is making their music, they're doing it alone, right? They're being super vulnerable, but it's in a space where they can be super vulnerable because it's just kind of them and the music, I guess. And then the listener is having a very like individual experience listening to the art. They don't feel like they have to fix the artist's problems and the artist doesn't necessarily feel like they have to fix the listener's problems. Yeah. But both people are being super vulnerable with each other in that listening, making art experience. It definitely does affect you a lot when someone you listen to and someone who's been really vulnerable about their struggles that you've related to passes away. Like, mm. I remember my mom, she always told us this story about when Elvis died. Yeah. She was distraught. She was like, I locked myself in a bathroom. I was crying for hours. And I used to dislike her so much as a child. <laughs> so I was like, Mom, <laughs> that's ridiculous. And you were like, grown. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> but then Mac Miller died. And I will never forget this date as long as I shall live. It was the 7th of, well, he died on the 7th of September. My birthday's the 8th of September. Oh no. Yeah. I was celebrating my birthday with my family. We went, what, a lot of my Mac Miller stories revolve around golf. I really just noticed that. <laughs> I was playing, I was playing mini golf with my family. Circle. Hold well, in the circle. Circle. Thank you, Mac Miller. <laughs> I'm literally wearing my circles t-shirt right now. Yeah, I was out playing mini golf. I was on the way home. I had such a great time. Didn't win mini golf, but that's fine. I opened my phone and I saw, I don't know, one of these like TMZ kind of rumory websites saying that he'd passed away. And I was like, no, there's no way. Like I was in the back of my car and my stomach just like dropped. Like I just was so upset. I felt like someone like ripped my gut out, you know? But I was like, no, I'm going to wait until it's like completely confirmed. So I went home and I let a couple of hours go by and I was listening to his music just in case. I don't know why, but I was like, I just know it can't be true. And then it was confirmed within a couple of hours by like big news kind of yeah. companies. So I was like, okay oh my god and I just bawled like I was so sad because it really felt like at that point I was like kind of an active fan so I had like done the deep dive and now I was like oh he's I was really excited for swimming to come out swimming came out I loved swimming uh he was going on the U.S. tour I couldn't wait to see if he was going to tour globally and come to Ireland you know and then like for all of that just to be like just cut short 
And yeah. to think that I wasn't that much younger than him is just crazy. And then on my 26th birthday, I had this real like outer body experience. I was like, he was literally my age, like when he passed. Yeah. But sometimes I think it's really sad that he died so close to my birthday. But sometimes I think in a way it's kind of nice. Like I, I do believe in like signs from the universe and all that. Not to sound like woohoo, but we love a bit of woohoo. We here. love a bit of woohoo. But it's kind of nice to me. And sometimes it's like our lives kind of crossed in a weird way, like timing wise and stuff. I'm like, maybe that's like a sign that I should have found his music and that kind of a thing. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, like it does. It gives me solace sometimes and sometimes it just makes me really sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget that day. Never forget that day. Like, and even like whenever I listen to his music still, I still find myself being really upset, even though I know like he's passed and whatever, but it's just, yeah. it's hard. Like It catches you off guard. But that relationship that you were talking about is so beautiful and special. And it's something that I kind of think about in terms of community and how we are there for each other. Like you said, when you talk to a friend, you feel like you're putting a burden on them and they maybe feel a burden to do something. But actually it's just the listening ear and it's just the patience or the space or you know the empathy that you're looking for and so maybe we should take that pressure away I think sometimes we're reluctant to speak out or to look for that kind of solace in other people because we think they're going to have an expectation of something they need to fulfill and they don't Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe that's something you could think about if you are struggling like you don't need to worry about what the other person has to provide and they don't need to worry either yeah maybe it's more a message for the listener than the speaker in that case But it's also something beautiful in like the community that comes together afterwards. And we saw that like massively with Scott Hutchinson because they founded tinychanges.org. Um, and you can support that. It's a mental health charity in Scotland and they work to improve their health services. And then I suppose that legacy that we were talking about earlier and what you leave behind is so important too. And it just kind of occurred to me that that idea of trying new things and like remembering that life is finite and that you only have so much you can do and that you should take those chances and like be playful and be creative is obviously something that Mac Miller has instilled in his community and in people like you that's something he's inspired it's such a lovely legacy yeah 100% I think it's something you lose as you grow up like becoming Mm. an adult you become so work focused and you lose an element of like play in your life and I know we associate play with like children and stuff but like it's so important to try new things and like fail it's really not the end of the world you know and I am genuinely like I'm only starting to be comfortable with the fact that like I am a creative person like like you said earlier calling myself creative and stuff like that it's so important to keep all that stuff up like keep trying keep going um because otherwise you'll kind of just live to work and I don't want to do that so I'm just gonna keep plowing on and like trying new things and seeing what happens (laughs) amazing and how's it been going back to dancing it's honestly been the most rewarding thing I think I have ever done in my life (laughs) like I grew up dancing since I was four like then I started hip-hop when I was 12 and I just fell completely in love with it classically most stupid decision ever stopped for the leaving cert (laughs) if you were doing your leaving cert it is the worst decision I've ever made because literally I'm not even joking when I look back and I think of when my anxiety started and when I started to struggle Mm. with my mental health it is exactly when I stopped dancing like exact that's the reason why because I didn't have an outlet of any kind so yeah, it's been so great. Like I decided to go back to dancing last year um, when I moved to Canada. I was like, okay, I need to find friends. How am I going to find <laughs> friends? <laughs> so I found that there was like a hip hop only studio. So I went, I took classes, loved it. Like it was so 
cathartic for me to have somewhere to go once a week to kind of have a structure a place where like you said there's a community there and like I feel like I'm kind of finding or like returning to a part of myself in a way Mm. I feel like I like repressed not repressed but I feel like I lost that part of myself for a while and like finding that again and being comfortable in the fact that like I am I'm a white girl who loves listening to hip-hop I'm a white girl that loves dancing to hip-hop and that's okay you know if anyone's listening and you're thinking about returning to a hobby or like doing something out on a whim like do it like it's the best thing you'll ever do it's so rewarding yeah. it's so good and I especially feel with dance and like I'm not a dancer at all except for like late at night in the kitchen <laughs> I've seen but, you um, in the in the club Emma. <laughs> I love dance Don't I love it I do just feel like it's really important to do something that brings you back into your body and to be in touch with your actual self if that makes sense because it does it takes you completely out of your mind when you're dancing you have to be in your body you have to be yeah. aware of your body and like you can't be on your phone you have to put your phone on the other yes. side of the room like, it always shocks me as well watching dancers like there's so many things literally muscles in my body that I don't know how to access so uh, yeah, I'm like yeah, yeah. I don't know how to move that <laughs> I don't know how to do that and it's mad that we're like walking around with full-on human body and we like don't investigate how to use it fully it's like so weird to me yeah like I'm finding muscles in my body that I forgot about completely I'm like whoa like I have a shoulder blade good to know (laughs) like because my posture is so bad from my phone my laptop and now I'm finding like oh there is something there good to know good to know yeah yeah, I can work with that (laughs) yeah that's so funny for someone who is coming to Mac maybe for the first time, what would you recommend? Like for someone who's not familiar with his music, are there any touchpoint songs or albums that you should kind of know about to kick yourself off? I mean, I think it does really depend on like what phase of life you're in, I think. Like mm, if you're a teenager, point. like if you're like living, laughing, loving, then mm. I think you should listen to kids. Like it's so fun. It's the perfect encapsulation of youth. Like it's just the best. But if you're maybe... I don't know. If you're a big music head, I think Divine Feminine, 100%. Okay. If you're like struggling or you're kind of in your sad boy, sad girl hours, I think Swimming in Circles would be really good. But if like my favorite album is Swimming, mm-hmm. I think that's the most kind of like brilliant example of Mac as an artist overall and his talents and what he stood for as an artist. So if I was to pick one, maybe Swimming. Yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm. And is there any particular song or album that like soundtracked a significant time for you? I think with that one, I'm going to have to pick 2009 yeah. from Swimming because Swimming's really special to me and that song in particular is really special to me because he did the Tiny Desk concert around, yes, you know, just course. I think just, well, it would have been just before he passed because the album came out in August and he passed away in September. So, you know, between those two months. But 2009 in that Tiny Desk concert is phenomenal, like just amazing. It blew so many people away. People who weren't fans of Mac Pryor like really got into him through the Tiny Desk concert and through the performance of 2009. There's beautiful violin strings at the mm. beginning. And it honestly, it sounds heavenly. Like it's the only way I can describe it. So it brought me a lot of peace when he passed to listen to that. Yeah. It, it felt like he was speaking to me. Again, not to be woohoo, but... We love a bit of woohoo. Mm-hmm. That's how it felt. Like I felt like, okay, it's it's fine. And he talks about his struggles in that song. But he also, again, talks about being at a place of peace with everything. So I think 2009 would be it for me. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. And it, it's true. Like even those tracks, um, Back Down to Earth, and there's <laughs> kind of an ascension at the end of the album as well. Like, yeah. That's so significant when you consider what followed. Like, it exactly. is prophetic. That's, like, I always think about that about his music. Like, so prophetic. Like, he he had a song on one of his mixtapes got released later called um, The Scoop on Heaven. And it's literally, like, him talking about 
being in heaven and what he thinks it's like. I'm like, that is crazy when you think about what followed, you know? Yeah. There is something extremely prophetic about his life. And I think, again, kind of otherworldly in a way. Like, I know it sounds crazy, but I do think that there's something so special about his life and his music and the peace with which he just kind of accepted everything that was going yeah. on. Yeah. I remember when there was, like, big beef between him and Donald Trump. Oh, my God. And at yes. the time... Donald Trump basically he had a track called Donald Trump on one of his mixtapes yeah, and it yeah. went viral 17 million listens or something and Donald Trump was at first delighted about this but then when he started running for president Mac was like don't go for this guy yeah he did a skit on SNL as well okay it was I so funny calling him out he was like you racist um after like it's so good it's so good yeah but so that's another good. thing he always stood up for what he believed the in the right side yeah always on the right side of everything that doesn't happen a lot with artists yeah you know unfortunately true, true. he was very steadfast very level-headed in that sense and stood up for what was right always but then when donald trump retaliated with that and was like i'm gonna sue you i'm gonna destroy you he could have been like oh god my life is over but instead he was like Donald Trump is angry with two people in the world Barack Obama and me yeah <laughs> you peaked yeah like he's That's so amazing. funny he's so funny a light-hearted guy and yeah. funny and just brilliant just like a really really good human I think yeah I don't know if there's any basis for this or if I just completely made it up but when I was watching Euphoria I really thought that Angus Cloud's character was based on Mac Miller yeah. and I didn't even really know anything about Mac Miller that time I just yeah. like I felt like they had the same vibe or something. Yeah, I haven't watched Euphoria yet. I know, it's, like, I know what the character looks like. Yeah. A lot of people were like, oh my God, they're identical. Like, that's crazy. But they're and the same kind of, I don't know, manner. There's like drug and, use and stuff. Yeah, and the story is similar too. And so the fact that he, I don't know, I was really sad when he passed away, actually. Mm. And that made me think of Mac Miller as well. Oh, yeah. I forgot that he passed away. But something that actually did occur to me, and maybe this is a note we can finish up on, but you mentioned there how Mac was always on the right side of history. He was happy to stand up for people and he was, you know, supportive of his community and other communities. And something that was significant when I put that question box on Instagram was the names that came up, like Sinead O'Connor, Dolores O'Riordan, Bowie. They are all people who were really happy to stand up for what they believed in Mm. and for people who were maybe marginalised or against powers that were being misused. And it really struck me that like that is a massive lack in our pop stars of today. There are so many of them who talk about peace and kindness in a very general way, but they're not actually putting their name to any cause. And I think now more than ever, like we really need that. We need ambassadors and we need people who are happy to put you know, everything on the line for good. Yeah, because I think ultimately, like, in years to come, they're the artists that people are going to look back on more fondly, you know? Yeah. Like, your music won't count for anything if you're not standing up for what's right when it's happening around you. You know, you can sing about peace in your songs all you want, but unless you're standing by that in your actions day to day, then I don't think fans will stick by you, you know? Yeah, and that is a legacy that Mac definitely has. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing. Like we just said, he was only making music... For, well, sorry, he's making music for 12 years at 26, which is actually very impressive. Very impressive. Such a legacy for someone who um, was taken too soon. Yeah, so young. When I think about, like, where he could have gone, it mm. really catches me out. I think that's another thing, just, like, lost potential in a way. Like, yeah. that really upsets me, like, lost creative potential and like gutted by it because I think he really could have like gone so many ways like mixed so many genres like done so many cool things in music uh, and that's really what guts me the most but at least we have an amazing discography to listen to Mm -hmm. and like remember him by and stuff. 
Um, Sinead, thank you so much for coming in. I feel like this has been a very emotional episode. <laughs> Definitely more so Sorry, than the guys. others. No, it was lovely. <laughs> and like we said earlier, it's that like catharsis and that community is at the core of everything, I think. And it's yeah. definitely what I wanted from these conversations. So thank you so much for being so open and honest and yeah, just lovely as always. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Me too. That was Sinead Scully on Mac Miller. And like I said, all of the books and topics and videos and things that we referenced will be on the newsletter at gingeripod.substack.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a rating. It only takes a few seconds on Spotify. Share it with your friends if you know someone who would enjoy it. And um, I'm really looking forward to actually being a little more consistent with the uploads in the next few months um we have some great episodes planned and also if you are a big fan or if you know a big fan please get in touch because i'm open to ideas and other artists to discuss too but till next time thank you so much for listening i really appreciate it i've really enjoyed this and i hope you did too